0: Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. What a, what a way to start an evening, to come in chatting and then Jen reads that and you're like, uh, okay, that feels like a lot of emotions and um, I'm not going to apologize for it Um, because what I love most, not most, but what I love about spending time with Jesus is that you don't have to come um, whole or perfect uh, but that you get to have real raw conversations with Jesus and express the pain that is living in this world. On Sunday, I was, uh, we finished or the second gathering at 11. 11 17, and I 11.17 um, and I was in the lobby chatting with a friend, a couple that Rachel and I are friends with and he was just recounting to me about how his wife had a miscarriage. And it isn't the first time I've heard someone have a miscarriage. It's not the first time I've had a friend tell me that there was just something in the way he told the story of how useless he feels he can't stop his wife's grieving he wishes the baby would be born and it's the kind of story that like all I could remember saying to him was oh yeah I'm I'm sorry that happened it was like, what do you say to that, right? And, uh, but it was like one of those, I'm so sorry, where I like kind of didn't meet him. Like I didn't like, our eyes didn't meet because like I was like, I can't, I don't know how to bear with your grief right now. And as I was thinking more about the story throughout the week, I couldn't help but recall all the other stories of grief that I'd heard over the last few months here. You know, sometimes, whether you're in ministry or not, you hear these stories of pain and suffering. And because we live in a world where our phones are bombarded with another killing, another this, another that, we become kind of desensitized to the reality that there's a lot of pain in this world. But but then God started reminding me about this community and he reminded me of one of our young adult leaders here whose grandmother had just passed. And then I was reminded of, a student who went to Mosaic young, uh, students and he had passed away recently because he was hit by a car. And he had just, that Wednesday, he had just been to students and he had gone to bed and he assumed tomorrow would be just there waiting for him. And he woke up and he went about his business and went across the street to his bus stop and, and crossing his life was taken. And then it made me think about the mass shooting that happened on Lunar New Year in California where an elderly man opens fire on a crowd of people celebrating. And now there are 11 plus people dead. There's just a lot of grief in this world. There's just a lot. And I don't think it's by chance that God has this passage for us tonight Because the reality is is that too many of us have no idea how to reconcile the grief that we experience with our Christian faith. Too many of us were sold on the idea that everything would get better in following Jesus until suddenly it isn't better. I wanna read this passage um, from C.S. Lewis. Or if you've noticed over the last few weeks, I've quoted him a lot, but I think he's just very prophetic and is writing about the human experience. And he writes this in a book called A Grief Observed and it's not gonna be back there. So I'm just gonna ask you to listen. Um, And his wife had passed away and, and these are just honest words about his wrestle with faith. In his suffering, he says, meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy, that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcome with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, Silence. You may as well turn away, he says. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever even inhabited? It seemed one so, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and yet so very absent to help in time of trouble. Does that resonate with anybody? Or maybe are you at least tempted to think this way? That if everything is going well, God is in it, but if everything is not going well and poor, God must be absent. But that's simply not the God of the Bible. I recognize that there's this battle that goes on between the lines of our lives where we struggle to be with God in the midst of our pain and suffering because sometimes life circumstances come out of nowhere, knock us on your back and then when we get back up, things just aren't the same anymore. The colors don't seem as vibrant. Jesus doesn't seem as near. Life doesn't seem as full. Something has gone wrong. And so for the next Two messages, we're gonna kind of walk through what life looks like in terms of grief, but also when there's doubt and skepticism. And so this little series within our time in the Gospel of John will be called When Jesus Seems Far. And listen, we need to have this conversation because to be honest with you, no matter how well we have our life together, no matter how how hard you've worked at being healthy and wealthy and comfortable, something will come and inevitably ruin it. Morbid, I know, sorry. Because life is a mix of celebration and grief. Easy to sense God in the good, but harder, if not impossible, to see Jesus in the grief because grief makes us think that Christ is nowhere to be found. And that's a scary place to be. Because when that happens, grief, here's the thing, grief in general is accompanied with feelings of loneliness, anger, worry, and fear. And if you can't take it to Jesus, where are you gonna take it? To your comfort food. To your favorite movie or song. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I mean, aren't you tired of trying to hold it together when the grief is just eating you inside? You see, grief without hope is despair. And so that's why many of us try to drown our grief in distraction, but grief plus distractions equals painful denial. It's like bleeding out and pretending that the blood is ketchup. You're still bleeding out. But if Jesus truly is there in the grief, despite our doubt and worry and fear, what kind of life can we have when we have our grief and then Jesus meets it? Last week, Kevin Dunn, our biblical formation pastor, he was teaching on John 19 and focused on, on the last words of Jesus when he says, On the cross, it is finished. And it was beautiful. But between John 19 and John 20, where we are tonight, John goes straight from the cross to the tomb, from the death of Jesus to the, re- the resurrection of Jesus. But before we, go the, we read through the first half of John 20 tonight, I, I want us to consider for a moment the position we're gonna find the disciples in. Because when we read John 19 and see the crucifixion of Jesus, and then we read John 20 right after that, we just assume that's kind of how the disciples experienced it. They were, they were sad on Friday and then just happy on Sunday. But the reality is the disciples had zero clue that the resurrection was coming. There was no category of someone going from death to life. They didn't, had no idea. We're talking about real human beings, not just some characters and a page in a book they knew and loved Jesus and they just saw him be brutally murdered. So just imagine the grief that would have accompanied the disciples. I mean, they'd been following Jesus now for three years and he had promised them a new life, a better life, a life with him. And they had come to know Jesus as friend, as brother, as Messiah. And and he wasn't just someone they had heard about or read about, they they prayed with him, they ate next to him, they camped with him, they learned from him, they were bonded together and now he's gone. So not only is their friend dead, but their hope of a savior seems to be buried with him as well. And they might've been filled with anger and, and felt abandoned and riddled with confusion. This is why, and the church calendar uh, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we have something called Silent Saturday. It's because, in the light of the scandalous slaughter of their teacher and their friend, the disciples are left stunned, grieved, and silent in thought. I mean, what else do you do with your life when everything seems to have flipped upside down for the worse? You grieve, you weep. That's where we find John. I mean, that's where we find Mary tonight. Let's open our text back up to John chapter 20. I was gonna summarize what kind of happened before this moment. Earlier that day, Mary had gone to the tomb to put spices and perfume on the body of Jesus. Because if you don't know this, now you do. Uh, When a body decomposes, it starts to smell. And so it was a normal practice. There, There was their version of odor control. And so the spices and perfume would have been put on the body. But when Mary goes with the other woman, they find that the tomb has been opened and Jesus' body isn't there. So she runs to the disciples and tells them what happened. And you really just have to feel for Mary here because I mean, she's been through the most over the last three days. I mean, she was unlike most of the disciples, she was present at the crucifixion of Jesus. She saw him be taken through the streets, carrying his cross. She saw him get pierced with the nails. She saw his life literally be drained from his body. And she was one of the only people to take him from the cross and lay in the tomb. And now she goes to visit the body that should have been there and it's gone again. It's like she's reliving her grief all over again. She lost him once and now she's losing him again. And so then Peter and John, grieving in their own way, go and race to the tomb. And they have this comedic moment where it says that John beat Peter for whatever reason it's in there. And and they find that the tomb is empty and there's this sense of like, what do we do now? And so John and Peter go home. And then we find Mary at the tomb and she's weeping. And Jesus wants us to know that she's not like a little sad or a little weepy, but like like weepy, weepy. Because it says it twice in verse 11, right? It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. He wants us to know that Mary is outside of the tomb crying freely and profusely. And it's interesting that she looks back into the tomb because like, what does she expect to find again? She knows that Jesus is in the tomb. She had told John and Peter earlier in the chapter in verse two, that someone had taken the the body of Jesus. So was she hoping to find his body miraculously? Did she need time to process the fact that he was gone? I don't know. But looking into the tomb, what did she find? Verse 12, it says that she saw two angels Right, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now listen, I have to really believe that Mary must've been in a very special state of grief because if I go to a tomb and I see two people in the tomb and they're dressed in all white, we're not having a conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm not there anymore, actually, I'm gone. But here she is unfazed and she enters into this conversation with them. And so the, the angels ask Mary, what can seem like a very insensitive question. And it's like, it's like when you see someone crying and you go, hey, are you okay? So they say, why are you weeping? But there's something actually really powerful about that question. Why are you weeping? You see, when I was working in the counseling clinic and my clients would cry in front of me, I would usually just give it a second, give it a moment of silence just to honor them. The fact that they just chose to cry in front of me. And then I'd ask them, what are your tears saying? What's the story behind your tears? And it's helpful because the person then begins to examine their heart, their emotions, their thoughts and their situation, not just from like a bodily response, but that there's something behind the tears. And I'm not suggesting that these two angels happen to be professionally licensed counselors, but they're asking this question because they're aiming to redirect her grief towards something of relief. Mary tells them the reason, and then Mary says, listen, I'm I'm crying and I'm weeping and I'm grieving because Jesus is not here and I don't know where he's at. And then in verse 14, what happens? It says, uh, um, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Which is such a curious thing. How do you see someone and not know it's them? And then Jesus begins to ask her the same questions the angel asked her, but with a modification. He says, "Why, woman? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" And I want us to properly hear the tone of Jesus tonight because the tone, the tone isn't, "Hey, woman, why are you why are you weeping, you fool." It isn't, "Why are you weeping, you weakling." It isn't, "Why are you weeping, you overdramatic baby." No. That is not the tone of Jesus. It's not a question of condemnation. It's a question of invitation. Jesus is redirecting Mary's grief to himself. Who are you seeking, Mary? Jesus knows that the only person who can handle her grief is him. And so he's inviting her to bring her grief towards him. Now listen, I need you to hear something tonight. We need to know something about grief as a Christian. There is room for grief in the kingdom of God. There is a lot of room. There's an eternal amount of room, for, room for, for grief in the kingdom of God. And I say this because there's this assumption that as a Christian, you have to be happy all the time. That being sad or brokenhearted means you just don't have enough faith in Jesus that somehow your grief disgusts Jesus and that could not be farther from the truth. See, earlier I talked about Jesus. I'm gonna stand. And so earlier I was talking about Jesus meeting with Lazarus, calling him out from the grave. Did I do that? I might've not, but I meant to, but he does this. And before Jesus does that in John 11, he speaks to the pain and the grief of Lazarus, sister. In John eleven thirty three. when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, it says that Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Now these two phrases, deeply moved and greatly troubled is the Greek version of saying, Jesus was very pissed. He was very upset. Now, he was not upset at them. Why are you crying, you fools? No, no, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that when Jesus sees our suffering and our grief, he becomes angry, not at our grief, but at the thing that is causing our grief. And if that is not enough, it says in verse 35 that Jesus himself joins in on the weeping. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus Wept, And so when Jesus sees our grief, he is moved in compassion towards us, angry at the thing that grieves us and he joins us in our grief. He is not disgusted at your grief. He invites you to instead bring it to him. Bring it to him. And I just wanna give you perhaps, maybe for the first time in your entire life, permission tonight to just grieve, to cry, and to weep because it doesn't mean you're weak. Now for a moment, I just wanna talk to the men in the room for a second because crying and grieving are a section of the Christian faith that our churches and our culture has gotten really wrong sometimes. There's a spectrum in which to be a man when it comes to being with your emotions, you either are stoic or have uncontrollable emotion. So in one one aspect, no one sees your emotions. And the other aspect is everyone needs to see every emotion you have. And the truth is no one needs to see all of that. And sometimes people do need to see your emotions. On one end, you hear that to be a man means that you are to never shed a tear, that you are to be strong and you have to hold it in. And the other end is that everyone needs to know your emotions at all times, because if not, you're a toxic male. But this is the work of the enemy, not the gospel of Jesus. There is an attack, and I will tell you this, there is an attack, men, on you and your life in the church. I'll just point it out. When you look at the mental health statistics and you look at who is the most likely to take their life between men and women, do you know what the stats show? Women talk a lot about ending it. Men take their life is not to belittle the woman. I'm just simply pointing to the reality that there's attack on men. If you look at the last 10 years of all the celebrities who've lost their life to suicide, overwhelmingly it's been whom? It's been the men. And this is what happens when pain and suffering have no outlet and no sense of hope. So, men, please hear me tonight. There is room for your grief in the kingdom of God. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve because our Savior, who was a man, he wept. So, move towards the tears, and I promise you, you will find Jesus there. And then to the woman in our community I love your hearts but I recognize that your tears and your emotions have been weaponized against you. It's said that you're too much or you're too emotional because of your tears. But tears do not make you weak, ladies. It doesn't make you dramatic. Your emotions are not the enemy. I cannot count how many times I've had women sit before me and as they cry, they stop crying or they try to stop and apologize to me, oh, I'm super sorry for crying. The irony, the backwardness of her expressing her pain, thinking she has to shield me from her tears. Or at least shield me from thinking in a way that's not helpful. But ladies, nothing is wrong about the tears that you shed because they are sacred to the Lord. Jesus invites you like he invited Mary to redirect your tears and your grief towards the only person, the only man who can hold the weight of your grief. You don't have to hold on to it and you don't have to hide it. You're not too much for Jesus. You're not too emotional for Jesus. You are his daughter. There's room for grief in the kingdom of God for your grief and your tears. Move towards the tears and you will find Jesus there. But what happens when you can't find Jesus, right? I'm crying, I'm weeping, I still don't see Jesus. What happens when like Mary, you can't see Jesus? You see, Jesus, I mean, Mary sees Jesus, but doesn't recognize him, right? And then in, you can sense this tension building in these next three verses. She she hears this man say, hey woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She turns around and assumes he's the gardener and begs him, listen, I need you to tell me where you've laid him. Like if you if you know where Jesus is, I need you to go tell me so I can go find him. I'll take care of everything else. And you can sense there's this budding anticipation and this anxiety building in Mary. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, I need you. I just need to find him. And Mary in this moment, while she may not be weeping anymore, she still might be. Mary is in this moment of great need. Who will save her? Who will meet her? Who will bring comfort to? Her grief. Who will come? Kind of what Jen was saying in the prayer. You see, our grief can cause us to believe that Christ is absent. Grief, as the hymnist throat can seem to hide the face of God. Because the thought is that if he can't see me, then I can't, oh, if I can't see him, then he can't see me. But what I love most about this scene is that while Mary may not have been able to see Jesus, Jesus could see her the whole time. The whole time. He sees exactly where she is, even though Mary doesn't know where Jesus is. He sees her in her grief and then he moves in. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus will always meet you exactly where you are in your grief not in the beginning end and only in the end, or when it gets too hard or when it's too easy, he knows exactly where to meet you in your grief. In your tears, Jesus is there. In your silence, Jesus is there. In your depression, Jesus is there. You may not see him, but I promise you, he surely sees you. Our grief doesn't mean that Jesus has been absent. It just means you're experiencing life in a broken world. He hasn't gone anywhere. Mary, that's all Jesus says, Mary. And in that one line, Jesus said it all. Jesus calls her by name and it's like the lights come on. She's able to see what she's been blind to the whole time that Jesus had never left her side. (laughs) You see, when Mary first looked at the grave, she saw that it was empty and she thought it meant a sign of absence, but she was wrong. The empty tomb meant that there was a risen Jesus and that risen Jesus had come back for her and her grief. You see, this is what I need you to know. While this is a conversation about grief, there's also a conversation about the resurrection of Jesus. You see, because outside of the resurrection of Jesus, there is no relief for your grief. If Jesus died for you, but never came out of the tomb, all you can really say to your grief is like, well, that's nice, aw. Jesus loved me enough to die. But he didn't stay in the tomb. And that means that there is somebody who loves us enough to die for us and is strong enough to beat death, which means he's the person to handle my grief because he will never leave and it will never be too much for him. His resurrection changes everything. No wonder Mary is comforted when she hears Jesus call her name. And I tell you right now, he's calling out to you right now if you're grieving. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is calling you through the pain. He is not hiding. Do not believe that lie. He has not run from you. You are his. He went to the cross on your behalf. Why would he leave you now? He hasn't. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Problem of Pain. I love this quote. Committed it to memory, but God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. He's calling out to you, shouting even. Will you turn to him like Mary did? See, when Mary responded to Jesus, she was fulfilling what John wrote in John chapter 10, verse three, where it says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so there's this, this image of a shepherd guiding the sheep intimately and caring for them. But this is a thought that stems from an Old Testament Psalm, Psalm 23, four. And you might know Psalm 23. It begins with the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I lack nothing. And if you go fast forward a couple of verses down in verse four, it says, even though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Grief does feel like walking through that valley, doesn't it? And what brings comfort to you in that valley? Tim Keller writes in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he says this, suffering is unbearable, unbearable. I would agree. If you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Why? Because the resurrected Jesus is the only one who is loving enough and strong enough to never abandon you, even in your grief. Jesus is here and he's inviting you to have your grief be met with a risen Jesus. And I wanna be honest with you all as we, move through this text, that grief will not just go away. Not on this side of heaven. Like you will experience it. Being a Christian and applying Jesus to the grief, like it's some kind of emotional bandaid, that, that doesn't do it. You know that, you know, it keeps coming back. Some of you are, are experiencing the first year without a family member or maybe second or third or fourth year. Some of you are walking and working through some childhood trauma. And some of you are pretending the grief isn't there, but it's slowly eating at you. But every time you think about that person, that situation, that place, that dream, that opportunity, that whatever thing that caused you the grief, it begins to rise up those feelings of melancholy, of sadness, and maybe, yes, maybe even some tears. So no, being a disciple of Jesus doesn't make that go away. But what Jesus is inviting you to do is to grieve, to take your grief and to bring it to him. He's inviting you to what you simply call is the process of grieving. Now, grieving is not fun. In fact, many of us think it's inconvenient, but know this, that unprocessed grief is a commitment to a slow and painful death. Have you ever seen that movie Up? From Pixar, yeah, thank you. And you see the, in the first few minutes, you see the life of the old man when he was in his younger years and it's really cute and it's sweet and they buy a house and there's balloons and it's like awesome, stupid Pixar, and then she dies. <laughs> and then you're like, you're five minutes in and you're already crying. And if that's not you, that was definitely me. And I'm like, all right, what's the rest of this movie? (laughs) Notice that he continues to live in his grief and misery. And what happens? He becomes a bitter and angry old man. And Jesus says that you don't have to go down that path. He has a better way. You see, because the tomb is empty, we can forever take our grief to a risen Jesus. Because when our grief encounters the person of Jesus, he carries it and he gives you something in exchange. He gives you this beautiful thing called grace. In John 1.16, Jesus promises that if you are a follower of Jesus, he will give you the fullness of his grace. Now, what is grace? The churchy word, but I'll break it down for us. Grace is the power and the mercy of God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, he will give you grace upon grace for your grief, that he will meet you in your weakness and come with his strength, that he will meet you in your pain and show you compassion. Grace is what helps you build real, genuine, gritty faith. It does not deny the reality of your pain, but instead it confronts your pain and your grief with a very real and powerful savior. But notice, the grace that is given to you is given to you, not in your strength, but in your weakness. Christianity, or at least being a disciple of Jesus, is meant for the weak. So that's you tonight, welcome. Welcome. This encounter between our grief and God's grace is beautifully described here in Hebrews 4, 16. It says this, because of the empty tomb, this is what we get to do. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is what Tim Keller writes about doctrine and I think it matches here well. It says believers understand many doctrinal truths in the mind, but those truths seldom make the journey down into the heart through disappointment, failure, and loss. As a man who seemed about to lose both his career and his family once said to me, "I I always knew in principle that Jesus is all you need to get through, but you really don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And in your grief, That is all you have. So I invite you, family, please do not let the grief in this life cause you to release the hand of God. Even when you don't see him, even when you don't feel him, he is there. Jesus is our greatest comfort. He is our rest. And I invite you, he invites you, draw near to his throne of grace, not just when you're weak, but even when you're feeling strong because you need him to show up. If there's one thing I've come to know about grief is that I cannot theologize my way out of pain. I cannot simply read a couple of Bible verses and think that I'll somehow extract the pain from the marrow of my soul. But what I can tell you is that when Jesus shows up as he has promised, he will take it all away. When Jesus is all you have, it's all that you need. Now you might be asking me as we finish, how do I actually do this? I like what you're saying, but how, how do I actually grieve and grasp onto the grace of God in my life? I was reading, um, Habakkuk as an Old Testament prophet towards the end of Old Testament. And, and the way the book begins and the way that it ends highlights the Christian journey of grief I found. See, the prophet Habakkuk He's talking about the judgment of the Lord, but he starts the book in this way. He says in verse two, right off the bat, "O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear?" Huh. That's what grief feels like. But then he ends the book like this: the last two verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How do you go from God, where are you, to even if all things fail, I'm gonna worship you? How do you do that? How do you do that in grief? Well, I'll tell you. God in his infinite wisdom provides a practice that we can do that helps take our pain and make it into worship. God knows and knew that we would live in a broken world and that grief would come. So God created this practice called lament. (laughs) Lament. And I wanna introduce you to this practice because I genuinely just see too many young adults walk away from the faith because they settle on the thought that God has just left the building. And so lament is this journey between grief and hope. Lament is the practice of remembering, it'll be on the screen, is my own definition of it. Lament is the practice of remembering that there is a journey between the pain of death and the glory of resurrection. It is in this practice that Jesus offers us space to wait, to weep, to sit in our grief, to wrestle with our pain and doubt, to lay our burdens at the feet of the resurrected Jesus, to know that our pain and our suffering will always be met by the resurrected glorious Jesus. It helps us take our eyes off our grief for just a moment, fix it on Jesus and let's Jesus focus on our grief. Now lament can look a little different and we're actually gonna practice this together as a community after this message is done. But the simplest way that I can offer you about how to practice lament is that every time the pangs of grief ring in your heart like a bell, you take that raw thought. It's really simple. Take that raw thought, that raw emotion and that word, those maybe unkind words that you feel like you can't say to Jesus, but he's a big boy, he can take it and you take it to Jesus and then you wrestle. So that could look like you writing out your thoughts and see if they match up with scripture and if they don't, just ask God, God, I don't have the strength in me, but I wanna believe your words over my pain. You can tell God how you're feeling and you can ask the spirit of God to move your heart from anger to joy, from resentment to peace, from loneliness to fullness. It's not easy, but it's meant for your heart to not become bitter and old, but to release the pain and hand it over to the only person who can handle it all. So as we move from this space tonight, may we remember that there is much room for your grief in the kingdom of God and that because of the empty tomb, Jesus will always meet our grief with his glorious grace. Let's pray. God, would you meet us here tonight through your spirit? You know what this community needs. and You know the world that we live in. That grief is all too common. But I pray that these words begin to seep deep into their hearts. That you would call out all of our names to release us from the, bind, the bondage of darkness and to see you ever so more clearly. As we enter into this time of lament, Lord Jesus, God, I beg you, show up. It's far too hard a thing to do on our own. It's far too scary a thing to do on our own. But just like you showed up for Mary, I know you'll show up for us. Show up Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.